0: our reading of Scripture this evening, we turn again to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel 9, and we're going to pick up reading at verse 20. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. The whole section that we read is the text for the sermon. So, Daniel 9, verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying, And confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God yea whilst I was speaking in prayer even the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and he informed me and talked with me, and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. For thou art greatly beloved, Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it just desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate." We read that far in God's holy word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, it should be evident from even a cursory reading of the passage that the event that it records and the meaning of that event are very significant that should be evident from the manner in which this passage is given and the reason that it is given. The message of the text is brought very swiftly by an angel when Daniel begins the intercessory prayer that we considered last week. At the beginning of that prayer, this angel, Is sent forth by God and he arrives about the time of the evening oblation that Daniel would observe in prayer again not only that but this message is not sent by just any angel but the angel Gabriel this is the angel about whom the scriptures say He stands in the presence of the Lord this is the very same angel that will bring the good tidings of the birth of John the Baptist as well as the good tidings of the birth of the very Messiah that's mentioned here in the passage and this is the very same angel that Daniel had seen, as he informs us in verse 21, years earlier when he's given the vision. When he's given the vision at the time and rule, the brief rule of Belshazzar. You remember that vision of a ram and a goat. Then the same angel had come and given him the meaning. We do not know precisely when Daniel had received the vision that this angel Gabriel then explains and interprets, but it's likely that it was given at the same time years earlier when he had first seen this angel. Not only that, but the significance of this passage is brought out when the angel brings it to Daniel, giving the explanation that Daniel is greatly beloved, greatly beloved of God who sent him, and then is given so that this Daniel, greatly beloved of God and a man whom we have seen, is very wise made wise above all men in many things by God, yet is given this message by Gabriel so that he might be given understanding. And then we read, consider the vision. That is remarkable. The remarkable nature of this passage is also evident from history and with regard to especially eschatology. This passage you may know and should know is fundamental to what we call pre-millennial eschatology, pre-millennial dispensationalism to be even more specific. This is the view, the false view, about the church and about eschatology about the coming therefore of Jesus that supposedly is looks at this passage which supposedly supports their notion that salvation of the Jews salvation of the Old Testament people of God is God's primary work of salvation that's his main work and this work will be fulfilled in the coming the second coming of the Messiah the salvation of the church the salvation of you and of me is a mere parenthesis a sort of side work of God from his main work in fact their view is that the church will be raptured from off the earth somewhere so that God can continue his work through the Messiah with the Old Testament people of God the Jews their view depends upon and is further explained by this passage about the 70 weeks in fact so fundamental to their view and their understanding that when they look at this passage they see no message in the passage for the New Testament church at all its message is strictly for the likes of Daniel and the Jewish nation of Israel but the fact is this passage is not simply of significance for Daniel and the physical descendants of Abraham in the Old Testament but rather is of significance to the church of Jesus Christ the church as it existed in the Old Testament the spiritual seed of Abraham as well as the church of the New Testament those that are redeemed By the Messiah of the passage. Consider with me this vision, the messianic vision of the 70 weeks, the messianic vision of the 70 weeks, and we consider in the first place the good news, then the troubling news, and finally the present significance. That this passage is filled with good news, that is the very good news of the gospel, Is so plain that even a child should be able to see it a child of God any child because as clear as it can be stated the vision and the explanation of that vision by the angel Gabriel concerns Messiah the prince in other words it concerns the Christ it concerns the one we know as Jesus the Christ the King and Prince of God and it concerns when he shall come and concerns the many many glorious and wonderful things that he will do for his people when he comes In fact it is the good news that the content is the gospel that explains the urgency with which this message Is delivered with haste by God's own angel Gabriel it explains why this message is delivered even at the very beginning of his intercessory prayer it is related to that prayer it is God's response to that prayer it is God's response to Daniel he is by this message going to explain to Daniel now how how now shall God answer that prayer how will God deliver his people how will he redeem them from their great bondage and give them deliverance the general message the general message of the good news is given in verse 24 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy that message in general is there is a time in fact a very brief amount of time that is determined by God already for his people for his people who are now in bondage who are now desolate who have now been taken and placed in Babylon The same people of whom the temple is destroyed, the city of Jerusalem is laid waste, and the time is that their transgression will be finished. There will be a making an end of their sins. And there will be reconciliation with God for their iniquity. And the time that is appointed for all this to happen is 70 weeks from start to finish. On the face of it, it might seem that the good news here is simply that this will be a short duration of time. That the good news basically is there will be a short duration of time between when Daniel has made his prayer, his prayer for the bondage to end and for Israel to be freed from Babylon and to return back to their homeland. That the message is simply about that that time will be short. This would seem to be the good news, and perhaps even the extent of the good news, because it's obvious this prophecy is given in response to prayer for that very thing. Daniel has been given to know from the prophecy of Jeremiah that the time that God has determined for his people to spend in captivity in Babylon is 70 years. And that the 70 years is accomplished. It's nearing its end. And that's why he prays. And now he's given an answer. And the idea is that in a short period of time now, this will happen. That Israel has finally now paid for their sins in the land of Babylon. She has made sufficient reconciliation and now can go home but that's not the message and that's not the meaning of the message that we find here that cannot possibly be the meaning now it is true and we know this even from the historical record and from what Daniel himself prays and has come to know that the decree of Cyrus that frees them from Babylon and sends them back home is going to be given soon. Perhaps even as soon as an actual 70 weeks. But what doesn't fit, what doesn't fit the message is everything that follows from verse 25 onward. Not only that, but the timeline is even further confused by the mention of one called Messiah the Prince a title that even the little children here know can only fit Jesus can only refer to the one we know who is Jesus Christ and no one else not only that But what shows that this cannot be the idea and the meaning of the passage is that Israel cannot possibly pay for her sins by her captivity in Babylon. It doesn't matter how long Israel suffers in captivity, whether it's 70 years or 70,000 years, she cannot possibly finish her transgression. She cannot possibly make an end of her sins. She cannot possibly live in everlasting righteousness and reconcile herself to God. That's not possible. It should be evident from what follows. The 70 weeks shall bring in everlasting righteousness. The end of the 70 weeks shall seal up the vision and the prophecy. That is, they will fulfill it. Fulfill it not partially. Fulfill it not even typically. But absolutely and completely fulfill what God reveals here in the passage. And that's not possible by Israel herself or even any earthly king that is going to come immediately upon their return. Now the good news of the passage is the clear unmistakable prophecy of God's Messiah, God's Messiah that we know to be Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. It's evident from the clear reference In words even the Messiah the Prince the Messiah repeated twice so unmistakable is the reference to Jesus the Christ that the translators of our authorized version leave the word in its original Hebrew the word there in the original is literally Messiah What's significant is that that is not the only place where this word is used in Scripture. It is used elsewhere to refer also to Jesus the Christ, but there, almost always, it is translated according to its meaning, which is the Anointed One. That word, Messiah, means anointed and has reference to the offices in the Old Testament, whereby one was appointed and qualified to that office by an anointing of oil. And as you well know, there were three offices to which this applied prophets, priests, and kings were all appointed and designated to their office, chosen by God and equipped for their work by the anointing of that oil. And that figure now, the Old Testament Scriptures take and use that term and apply it to one. Not simply anointed, but the anointed one. That is, all saw, even in the Old Testament, that God was telling them that there would be one who is alone designated by God. Not simply to be a priest or a prophet or even a combination of the three, but one who is the reality of which all the others are but a figure. The prophet, the priest, and the king of God. And we have seen that one come. We know who this one is. Which is why the issue of whether Jesus was the Messiah, as is pointed out, using the very same word, untranslated, is made clear in a number of places in the New Testament. But so unmistakable is the reference here to Jesus that this is the only place in the whole of the Old Testament where that word remains untranslated so that we may make the connection this means that the passage refers to the same one who is referred to for example in Psalm 2 verse 2 where it speaks of the rage of the people and the nations against God's anointed or Psalm 132 Verse 17, which foretells and prophesies of God's anointed. If now you want a good summary of the work of the Messiah, one could go, for example, to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 12, where the specific work of that threefold office is brought out what he does as priest, what he does as prophet, and what he does as king. Or, one could simply refer to this passage itself. Because the good news is not only that God is saying that in 70 weeks, the Messiah is coming, but lays out precisely what he will do as the Messiah and that is summarized in those verses as to finish the transgression to make an end of sin and make reconciliation for iniquity we should look at that first note here the different words that God uses now To describe the work of the Messiah in terms of salvation from sin note the different words here for sin it reminds you does it not immediately of the prayer of Daniel this all by itself is proof that this message that the Lord sends by his angel Gabriel is his answer to that prayer Remember that prayer wasn't simply that Israel be released from bondage, but that her sins would be forgiven. And the prophet spoke of that forgiveness and deliverance from sin using many, many different words. And now God, in response, follows by using many, many different terms to describe that same deliverance from sin. The Lord here, in other words, is giving the manner and the way that God will hear and grant this request. This is how, in response to Daniel's prayer, God will cause his face to shine upon his people. His sanctuary, now desolate, in verse 17. This is how God will show his great mercy and how he will do this not not for themselves as such and that this will not be their work but it'll be God's work and by his mercy this is how even as we read in the very last verse before this section God will forgive their iniquity How will God do that the angel Gabriel makes clear he will do it by finishing and making an end of sin by that term finishing and making an end of sin we need to understand that in the absolute sense of the word it refers to the ending of sin with regard to the right of that sin to hold one in subjection refers to the bondage of sin—that that is the power of sin both to condemn and hold one in corruption it refers to ending the right of sin to the subject under the curse of God the curse of God that comes upon all who break his law it also refers to the ending of sin by removing the power of that sin in the lives of God's people so that they are enabled to live a new and holy life and how will God do that how will God take away the right of sin to hold one in its bondage and then actually release them from the power of that sin to live holy lives? And the answer is God will do that by making reconciliation for iniquity. That's the message. That's how the Messiah ends sin. That's how he finishes the transgression he makes reconciliation for iniquity that is he takes that which stands in the way that which prevents and therefore that which restores the fellowship and friendship of God's people to God himself the very thing I remind you that Daniel had been praying for. He had not simply been praying for salvation, not simply praying for deliverance, not simply praying to go back home, but be to delivered in such a way that once again they could worship and have fellowship with God as before. It also speaks about this work too. Of the Christ that he brings in everlasting righteousness this is simply a further explanation about the other works it refers especially to the removing of the power of sin in the lives of God's people so that they actually live righteously before him oh yes it has reference to this also that by making reconciliation making an end of sin by finishing the transgression there is an everlasting righteousness that is Christ and applied everlastingly to his people it is a righteousness that once applied need not be done again evermore there is going to be a one sacrifice for that sin unlike all the types and the shadows but it's also prophesying that the Messiah will literally actually usher in everlasting righteousness so that which is declared about the people of God is actually that which is their life perfect absolute righteousness and that which never ends. Now the explanation of many, many Christians today, those I have referred to as the pre-millennial dispensationalists, says there is no such good news in this prophecy for the church. In fact, there is really nothing in this Message, and this message delivered so swiftly by the angel Gabriel to his beloved Daniel for you and for me, really at all. <clears throat> they view that this 70 weeks and what it speaks about is exclusively for the natural, biological children of Abraham that we know as the Hebrews or the Jews. This has nothing to do with spiritual deliverance, has nothing to do with the church whatsoever. This is partly due to their insistence that Old Testament be prophesied or interpreted as they say it literally. So when they read in the passage my people Israel or of Jerusalem they say that can only apply literally to the people who descended from the Old Testament patriarch Israel and refers to the literal piece of ground in Palestine called Jerusalem that's what this passage is all about and they say with regard to the 70 weeks that these 70 weeks refer to 70 periods of time that are seven years never mind that that isn't literal they do say that this passage which aff- applies to physical national israel refers to a period of seven years times seventy or if you can do your math quickly four hundred and ninety years they break down the seventy weeks or four hundred and ninety years this way the going forth of the word to to restore and build Jerusalem that's mentioned in verse 25 notice there's a commandment to restore and build Jerusalem that refers either to Cyrus's decree to let the people go or sometimes they say it refers to Darius's permission that was given in Ezra 6 to rebuild the temple or some even say it refers to Artaxerxes' letter that's mentioned in Nehemiah 2 verse 8 and If you want to know why there's disagreement, you have to know the reason why. Because, well, it's important to establish the right beginning, the right start date, because the 490 years needs to come out correctly. What they say then is this. There are, of course, 69 weeks, that's mentioned in the passage, that's, if you could do your math, 483 years. And they say that is from this start date to, of course, Messiah the Prince, that's mentioned in verse 25. And the problem is, that's difficult to work out. We know that the decree of Cyrus was approximately 537 B.C. And if that's the case, then that's too many years. That's more years than 490 or 483 to the birth of Christ. So then they start picking other dates that are a little closer, like the letter of Artaxerxes or Darius's permission to Ezra. And then they take this not to the birth of Christ, but they take it to, say, the baptism of Christ, or even some to the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem. That 69 weeks in the passage is further broken into two parts, so you have 69 weeks, but you'll notice that's divided between seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, according to their explanation, 49 years and 434 years. And they break it out this way. They say the seven weeks is the time of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. That is the 49 years. There's 49 years. They return, and then there's 49 years of building Jerusalem, and that brings you roughly to the end of The Old Testament brings you roughly to the last prophecy in the Bible by Malachi. And then the 62 weeks, or 434 years, refers to this great long period of time where the Scriptures are silent. We all know about that period. It's roughly 400 years. They say it's referenced here by the 62 weeks, that long intertestamentary period before Christ's come. And then that's concluded with either the birth of Christ or the triumphal entry or his baptism, depending how you look at it. Now, this view of the 70 weeks is fundamental for their own eschatology. This is why I'm bringing all this up. And I bring it up because this is the view of a vast, vast swath of Christendom. Many, many believe that this is how the world comes how the world ends and how the Messiah born some two thousand years ago returns you see there's a week here that is there's seven years according to their interpretation here but it doesn't follow the 69 weeks for them there's a huge period of 2000 years in between the 69 weeks and what happens in that one week There really is no evidence of that in the passage for this long period of time but they put it there anyway and this is how they explain it that week you will notice is divided into two three-and-a-half and 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 three-and-a-half and they say that at the end of this present age we're in it now Messiah has come they recognize that the Messiah the Prince has come and, and done his thing and now he's gone and we're living in this present age and this week needs to be fulfilled well what happens is this all of a sudden the church is raptured everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ everybody that belongs to what's called the church everybody that is engaged in the worship of Jesus as the great Christ Is raptured they're taken off the earth and why are they taken off the earth and the answer is not so the Messiah may come as such but so that the Antichrist will come he they say is the one mentioned in verse 27 what happens according to them is that for three and a half years half of that 70 weeks, he's going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel in Palestine. He's going to make a covenant with them. He's going to have something to do with them. But then suddenly, in the midst of that period of time, in the midst of that week, in the midst of those years, he begins persecuting the nation of Israel. That is the literal, physical descendants of Abraham. And he's going to do that for another three and a half years, and that's what we call the Great Tribulation. And at the end of that week, the 70th week, the Messiah comes. Christ comes. And he returns and he destroys the Antichrist. And then and then he's going to sit down upon the throne in Israel and be its literal, physical king forever. He there will establish again all the old sacrifices and have a literal throne and a literal crown on his head. And thus is fulfilled God's great and central work that is revealed in the Bible. This passage is critical for that view. Now, there is indeed troubling news that is recognized. It even speaks of troublous times but it's not in the actual understanding and interpretation of the passage that should be quite plain. Among the good news there is this troubling news and it's evident and actually is good news itself when you simply look at the passage. First of all notice that as is the case in many places, the number 70 is significant. It is always in Scripture a symbolic number. And it indicates the coming of the Messiah is soon. Soon in comparison to the 70 years that they were in captivity. And what's the symbolism? Seven is the number of the covenant and 10 is the number of fulfillment. That soon, very soon, and otherwise, in other words, God will fulfill his covenant. The covenant that God made with Abraham and his seed. And that seed now. Is not the physical children of Abraham but as the New Testament makes abundantly plain is the spiritual seed of Abraham that is those who are given the gift of faith those who are given the spirit of regeneration that that covenant that God has made will be fulfilled and fulfilled soon this period that's indicated in the passage indeed begins with the command of Cyrus that Judah may return back to Canaan, that occurs in 537 BC and is mentioned in the book of Isaiah chapter 44 verse 28 and 45 verse 13 this is a critical point in the history Of the Old Testament church this church which because of its own idolatry of its own adultery and because of its own forsaking of God has been brought into Babylon where there she is desolate where there she seems to have no hope other than that God has said there's an end seventy years and then suddenly almost inexplicably For no reason, apparently, at all, this great king over them, Cyrus, orders that they go home and grants them the means and the money and even the legal means to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. The 69 weeks takes us from that time, symbolically now, to the actual advent of Jesus the Christ. The Messiah, the Prince, that's mentioned there in verse 25. And that then is divided into two parts. Seven weeks, which indeed refers symbolically to troublous times as you read in verse 25. These would be the troublous times that Israel is going to experience after they return under Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, followed by the 62 weeks, which are indeed a reference to the period between the Testaments, the period prior to the birth of Christ and the coming of Christ, and it concludes with that birth of Christ. Then there's the 70th week, which is mentioned in verse 27. There is no thousands and thousands of years between the 69th and the 70th week as is proposed by premill eschatology. Just as in ordinary life, a 70th week follows a 69th week, so does this week follow the birth of Christ. It directly follows with no intervening time. This refers to the period of the life and labors of Jesus Christ. Those that begin with his first advent, his birth, include his death, include his resurrection, include his ascension, and perhaps even the outpouring of the Spirit. On Pentecost. In other words, it refers to Jesus the Messiah's ministry. That which fulfills the covenant. That time in which he makes an end of sin and reconciles the people. His labors on work on earth being done, he ascends and pours out his spirit. And indeed there is bad news included for we read after the 69th week the Messiah shall be cut off that's a reference to the crucifixion and death of Jesus Jesus is cut off the Messiah is separated he is rejected he is rejected even by his own people and then there is what we read in verse 27 and the latter part of 26. I do not have time to get into every little detail in the exegesis of that. But what it refers to is this. First of all the reality that in the Messiah there is a putting an end to all the goings on in the temple Jesus and his sacrifice puts an end to all the sacrifices to all the observances to all the rules and regulations that are given to this people in the Old Testament they all longer are needed they no longer represent what they have to represent because they are fulfilled so fulfilled are these types and shadows that even certain sheddings of blood will be done away and made desolate. And so much is this true that the passage foretells that indeed the temple and the city where all this occurs will again be made desolate that exactly because the Messiah is cut off and rejected, and cut off because His own people desire an earthly Messiah, an earthly Messiah who will deliver them with regard to earthly goods and earthly troubles and afflictions, and deliver them from the Romans, they will cut Him off. In cutting off, He ends The oblations he ends the sacrifices so much so that the city of Jerusalem and the temple and the sacrifices will be once and for all put away not even the physical Jew will anymore sacrifice lambs and sheep in the temple that has been carried out that also has been done and completed and is brought out here in this vision so what is the significance Of course the significance is as was laid out this good news about our deliverance the significance is about the good news of the nature of that deliverance. It is the good news that it is not a deliverance in earthly terms, in physical terms, with regard to a physical nation and a biological people, but is the spiritual deliverance of God's people, both old and new from all their sin by the one sacrifice of Christ and an ending of all other sacrifices it is the good news that Jerusalem shall be rebuilt not now the old Jerusalem the old Jerusalem that at this time lies ruin or even the Jerusalem and the temple that will be rebuilt when they return for that too is done away what is being built what is being glorified what is being made the home of Jesus the Messiah is not some old city with crumbling walls in Palestine today but the great church of our Lord Jesus Christ throughout all the ages the significance in other words is the exact opposite of what a large amount of Christians today would make it many today The very same who misinterpret this passage are very, very much interested in what's going on in Palestine and Jerusalem and give large sums of money and many votes to politicians that will help bring about the interpretation of this passage according to their understanding. But their hopes are not in Christ. Their hopes are not in the salvation and deliverance of the church from all her sin, but our uh, hope is on a mirage. What's the significance today? There will not be a restoration, a giant restoration of physical nation of Israel and an earthly physical king nor will the Messiah the Christ sit upon a throne watching sacrifices that he eliminated that he fulfilled and he carried out in himself to be done again the great significance of the passage today is not the Old Testament biological descendants of Abraham not some old temple and not some old city but the church of our Lord Jesus Christ that's the beloved of God what's the significance of the passage that it is fulfilled that in fact Jesus Christ has done precisely what was foretold he has finished the transgression made an end of sin made reconciliation for iniquity and brought in everlasting righteousness." The great significance of the passage is that is our hope, that is our deliverance, and that is the thing for which we give praise and thanks to him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our God, we thank thee for Messiah the Prince, the great King. has accomplished these wonderful things as they were foretold, and that we are made to understand through Gabriel the angel, and now through the preaching of the Word. We pray that we may believe that our faith may be in the great spiritual realities of the kingdom of heaven, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who is enthroned there, and who shall return, exactly because... He has brought in everlasting righteousness. In his name we pray, amen.